Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join our kids pastor, Ethan Jones, for the message, Abide. Good morning. It is great to see you. It's great to be here. Uh, I am Ethan. I'm the kids pastor here at Calvary Port St. Lucie. And first, I just want to welcome you guys. Welcome to the 1130 gathering. So glad to see you guys. And uh, as uh, Pastor Andrew just said, uh, you'll notice I'm not Pastor Mike. Um, you might not even recognize me because it is the first time I have ever, you know, today given a, a message from the platform. So I'm excited. Yeah. And you know, uh, before I got here, you know, I've been praying about it. I've been researching. I've been putting the time in. You know, I feel good about the message. Um, and I got some good advice from people, right? It's not just do you have a good message you can write well, it's do you communicate well? So I talked to some communicators, people who do this much better than I do and have been doing it for much longer. I wanted to glean some wisdom from them and I got some good advice, I got some great stuff. Uh, one person, fantastic, they were like, all right, Ethan, um, be confident up there because God's for you, God's on your side, be confident and you got this. Yeah, yeah, I got that, mm, good stuff. Uh, I, I also got the advice, be authentic, you know? People don't wanna follow inauthentic people. Be yourself. God's called you, Ethan, to be there. Don't be anybody else. Just be you, Ethan, and go for it. I'm like, yeah, amen. Got it. But do you see how that could be like slightly contradict? They might run, hypothetically, what if you were nervous? Like, what do you do then? Then, if you're confident, you're inauthentic, or you're authentic and nervous, what do you do? I worried about that nights and nights and nights. No, I'm just saying, um, here's what I know. I know if you go to a party, like and you don't really know anybody, you walk around, you talk to people a little bit, you get to know them, and then you know things seem smooth, things seem better. You gotta learn that, or lose that little bit of awkward nervousness to start off with. So I thought, hey, why don't I start off, I'll tell you a few stories about Ethan, a few stories about me. And uh, first, I did not grow up in Florida. No, I grew up in Indiana. My wife uh, grew up in Florida. We met in college. Uh, but I uh, grew up, again, in Indiana. And I've moved down here like a decade ago. I've been here for a while. And um, I've gotten used to things. But, um, you know, things are a, a, a little bit different. When I would move down here, people would be like, hey, are, are you from uh, Texas? Well, no, I'm from the hills of Indiana. Uh, I don't think I have an accent, but apparently, like, other people think I have an accent. I don't know. So, you know, maybe y'all will come out just preparing you. Um, but with that accent, it kind of comes out sometimes in certain areas. A lot of times, like, I guess, like, when I'm around my family or stuff like that. Uh, actually, my wife, we were, like, Newly married, we weren't married too long. Uh, and we were up in Indiana around Christmas time visiting my side of the family. And uh, you know, it's kind of cold in Indiana, so we're on the couch, we have a down blanket over us, we're kind of snuggling together. And I remember she looks up at me deeply into my eyes, deeply into my soul. And she says, Ethan, summer is a season. What? What is that? I felt like I missed something. You ever have that? Guys, come on. I feel like you can relate a little bit, probably more uh, than the ladies. Have you ever been like working on something? You're focused, you're doing it, you're into it, and then like all of a sudden you hear, you're like, you haven't heard a thing I've said to you, have you? And guys, you're like, wow. That's a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> like, must have missed something there. 
Uh, that's where I was at this moment. I was like, well, I must have missed something, but you know, whatever, I'm along for the ride, let's do this, let's keep going. So I remember I looked at my wife and I was like, yes, babe, you're right, summer is a season. And then she said to me, well then, Ethan, you can't be walking around your house going, Ma, have you seen my keys? They gotta be around here, summers. <laughs> yeah, it's not apparently the correct use of summer. And that, yeah, no. Uh, so it comes out every once in a while, I might come out, here, uh, the other things new uh, to Florida, or at least new to me in Florida, you know, I had never had rice and beans until I moved to Florida. Yeah, never. In Indiana, we eat a bunch of potatoes. Uh, I, that's what I, but here, a lot of uh, rice and beans, I love rice and beans, so good. Great thing to be turned on to. But uh, I remember when I was coming down, I was like a little bit homesick, you know, like I'm not used to eating this. I kinda wanna like a, some Indiana food. So I was like, all right, Megan, let's go get some Indiana food. So we like, she hopped in the car and we went to KFC, right? Cause that <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken, it's close to Indiana. Close enough, we're gonna call it good. Uh, and I was going there and I was like, I want some fried chicken gizzards. That's right, fried chicken. I already heard an ooh, don't, let's not judge, okay? That's a little, that's a little much. Uh, let's be honest, when you're a kid and you're eating stuff, you don't ask what you're eating. I mean, perfect point is the chicken. Where is the nugget located on the chicken or the tender? You, you don't know, you just put barbecue sauce on it and you eat it, it's delicious. That's what I did, so I was like, you know what? I want to have some of those chicken gizzards. So Megan and I, we get in the car, we go to KFC, and I remember driving up to the KFC, getting there, you know, and they're like, hello, this is KFC, might I take an order? And I was like, yes, I would love an order of fried chicken gizzards. Nothing. <laughs> it was quiet, and it kinda just seemed like to go on for eternity. I finally worked up the nerve to like, maybe she didn't hear, you know, I said it pretty clearly. I was emphatic. Want them gizzards. Um, and so I was like, hey ma'am, did, did you hear my order? Yes, sir. I, I did. I'm talking to my manager. I'll be with you in a second. Okay. Waited, <laughs> waited, waited. Finally, she comes back on and she's like, uh, sir, yes, I'm, I'm still here. Uh, sir, I talked to my manager and we throw that part of the chicken away so we, we can't give you any chicken gizzards. And I was like, in my head, I was focused in on it. I was like, no, there's gotta be a KFC that serves chicken gizzards around here summers. <laughs> I remember though, I turned to my wife and my wife was like, you did not hear a thing I said to you, did you? KFC does not serve chicken gizzards in Florida. And I was like, man, that's a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> Thanks. That's, you know, a little bit about me. I'm an Indiana boy. Uh, came down here again uh, uh, a decade ago. And if you know me, if you've been around me, you know that I like talking about Jesus. I like talking about his word. I'm passionate about that. And today we are going to be in John chapter 15. So go ahead, get out your smart devices, get out your Bible right in front of you, whichever, however you're gonna read the word. But let's be honest um, I'm not that entertaining, and I'm not that wise, but God, he is, and we wanna read his words. We wanna know what he has to say. So do me a favor, go ahead and get out that uh, John, again, chapter 15, so we can read that together. Scanning, let's hear an amen if you're there. I heard a lot of you, so let's do it. All right, John chapter 15, here we go. 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that, he, or that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are, are th so thankful. You are God of the universe. You are good. You are almighty. You are all-knowing. And you create galaxies just from a word. But God, you are not just awesome, amazing, and power, but you are justice and you are love. And you love us so much that you wanted to reveal yourself to us through your word. Help us today, God. As I communicate, make it be less of me and more of you. Don't want my words, God, we want your words. Prepare our hearts today, soften our hearts so that we might hear what you want to communicate to us. We love you, amen. All right, so some of you might be thinking, why are we in John chapter 15? Honest answer is because through prayer, through quiet time, this is where God put on my heart that we need to talk about today. Again, John chapter 15. Why did God put this on my heart? Here's what I think, is it kinda actually flows well. I mean, for the last four messages, we've been in the Advent season, right? Looking towards uh, the coming of the Messiah. God, the triune God, his son, Jesus, would take on human nature, he'd put on flesh, and walk among us. Amazing. But now that that has happened, now that we celebrate, now that uh, Christmas has come, what do we do with that? What do we do with the Messiah who is now man. How should we take this miracle, this perfect present that God has given to us? Well, I have one word for that, and that one word is abide. This word is obviously very important to John as he is writing in chapter 15. Abide comes up 10 times in this passage. But before we dive back into the passage, uh, we need to do a little bit more groundwork. So if you have a Bible that has red letters, you will notice, because uh, those red letters are the uh, words that Jesus speaks, you'll notice in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, there's a bunch of red letters. That's because for most of it, Jesus is speaking. 
See, this is happening starting in chapter 13. This is Jesus talking in the upper room. He's talking to his 12 apostles, the leaders of his disciples. He's talking to them. And so this is very, very, very important to read because again, this is Thursday. This is the upper room. This is the Last Supper. The next day, Friday, he's gonna be crucified. He's gonna be dying on a cross for our sins. So I think it's pretty important to look in to what he has to say before that happens. Now, some of you might be thinking, whoa, what? So like Thursday, it was Christmas Eve, and I came to the Christmas Eve service, and Jesus was a baby, and now you're trying to kill him? Well, yeah, there's a big time jump there. Actually, I remember, though, I was talking to a kid. He, he came up to me. He asked me about this. Very same thing. Um, a couple of years ago, I remember this kid came to me, and he was like, uh, Mr. Ethan, I, I don't get it. Um, in December, Jesus is born, and now it's like almost April, almost Easter, and he's gonna die? Is Jesus a fruit fly? Is he getting old really quick? And like, no, 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 he's not. It's, it, that's not how it works. He's, he's lived a good life throughout this time. But we do have to know that the point of Jesus coming was to die on the cross. He came as a baby to grow up as a man, to have his ministry, to speak his words, to reveal himself that he is God, and then he would die on a cross and raise to life three days later for our sins. This was the point of his life. To do a little bit more groundwork though, where we're at, a little bit more foundation. In John chapter 13, Jesus reveals that Judas is the one that's going to betray him. And in verse 30, Judas leaves and he goes off to do his thing. And at the end of verse 14, it concludes with Jesus saying this, rise, let us go from here. So they exited the upper room. Where are they at? Uh, you know, we don't know. Assumedly, they're on a walk. Assumedly, they're on their journey because they're gonna end up in John chapter 18 in the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas will betray him. So again, they're walking along. He is with not the 12, he's with his 11 at this point. The people that will continue on with him. The people who will all be martyred for his name except for maybe John who dies of old age. These are the people that he's talking to. This is his last sermon to them before the cross. Let's go ahead and pick it up in chapter 15, verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Pause. Jesus is setting up a, a metaphor. He's setting up a word picture. He's setting up, I guess if you're using the broadest sense of the word, he's setting up a parable right now. And first, I just gotta say, isn't it amazing that Jesus spoke in parables? He didn't speak on his level. He came down to speak to us on our level. He used parables. He used creation things to explain spiritual things. Again, that's pretty amazing. I want you to think about this. Let's say you had somebody who was from Indiana, a landlocked state, and you were going to explain to them the ocean, right? Let me add one more thing. Take it a step further. What if this person who was born in Indiana was blind from birth? How would you communicate the ocean? Well, what you really can't do is you can't communicate that it's blue or, or that it turns white as the, the caps, or sorry, as the waves crest and cap. 
You can't really talk about how, uh, if you're on at least the west coast of Florida, how uh, the sun sets and you can get these beautiful orange and, and reds and yellows and deep purples and blues at a sunset. You can't really uh, also communicate that when you're on a boat in the middle of the night and you look up, there's no light pollution. So you can see millions and millions of stars that are white and tweakling on a black canvas. Can't communicate like that to someone who is blind, at least from birth. You'd have to communicate in another way. You'd have to communicate maybe the, the feel of the ocean, the smell of the ocean, the taste of the ocean, how vast the ocean is. You've gotta use the senses that the person has. And I think that's a lot of times what Jesus is doing. We are created beings, we're in the creation, so God is using these word pictures to explain the things that we don't really have the sense to explain. He's bringing it down to our level. Let's go ahead and look at the first two words that he says, I am. Now, if you've been around Christianity for too long, you know I am, that's a big statement. Those are big words, why? Because in the Old Testament, when Moses meets God at the burning bush, Moses basically says, what's your name? Ask God what his name is. And God says, I am, that's his name. How simple, how beautiful, how profound. You see, that, that, that's not how we are, how our names work. That's not us. I mean, a quick difference is why are you here today? And I'm talking not physically, like here, metaphysically, I guess more what I'm thinking. How'd you get here? Well, when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, you get where that's going. And then how did they get here? Well, when grandparents love each other, you your existence is contingent on other people's existence. You exist because of other people, and they exist because of other people before them. Back and back and back and back and back and back and back. That's not God. God isn't contingent on other people. God is. Always was, is now, and always will be. I am. Now, I might be saying, so is Jesus calling himself God right here? No, he's not, not right here, he's not. I mean, that would be as much as if you're like, well, after church, I am going home. No one's gonna be like, get a rock and stone that dude. He said I am, Kata! And we don't even do that anyway. Um, but he's not using I am in that sense. But in other parts of scripture, Jesus does use I am like that, especially in John. I'm gonna go through a couple of these things or a few of these things where Jesus says, I am. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John chapter eight, verse 57, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. And they say to him, you are not yet 50 years old, but you say that you have seen Abraham? Question mark. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. In that instance, Jesus is claiming to be God. There's no mistaking it, and his Jewish audience didn't mistake it either because they picked up rocks to stone Jesus. They knew what he was claiming. 
Back to John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, do you guys ever start reading through scripture and like all of a sudden a word pops out to you? And you're like, this word must mean something that's calling to me. Why, why this word? For me, that was that word true. Why is true there? True vine. If it's a true vine, then there must be an untrue vine, or at least it implies there's an untrue vine. There's an illegitimate vine. And so looking through the scriptures, you see that in the Old Testament, Israel is the vine. They're described as a vine. Why? Basically like this. If you wanna get to God, you've gotta go through Israel. Israel is the place that has the true God. Isaiah chapter five, Isaiah describes Israel as a vine, uh, but that vine doesn't do a good job. That vine doesn't bear good fruit. That vine actually bears poisonous fruit, fruit that's not good for consumption, just bad fruit. Why did they produce bad fruit? Because of their sin. Kinda goes on to list it is that uh, Israel was greedy, drunkards, blasphemous, idolatrous, conceited. They perverted moral distinctions. They were unjust judges. And because of these fruit, God judged them. What Jesus is saying, again, to his Jewish audience, is you think you get to God because you're a Jew. You think you get to God through Israel, but no. You get to God through me. And I'm not gonna mess up like Israel does. I am perfect. You wanna get to the perfect father, you have to come through the perfect son. I am the vine. 15 again. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So again, we're starting to see this word picture. We got four players here. One is God, he is the vine dresser. Two, Jesus, he is the vine. Where do the branches get their nutrients, get their life giving force from? They get it from the vine, that's Jesus. Then we have two kinds of branches. We have branches that produce fruit, we have branches that do not produce fruit. Now you do have to remember the context, he's talking to the 11. And I think part of this, of what he's saying right here, is explaining what just happened with Judas. From an outsider's perspective, they would probably look in and see the 12 apostles. Again, the 12 apostles are the leaders of the disciples. There's probably hundreds of disciples. But the 12, they're the leaders. And you see these 12 connected to Jesus. Jesus hangs out with them. Why does this one go away? Why does 11 bear fruit and one will not? Well, again, I think this is part of the explanation. And again, from the outsider's perspective, you would have not guessed that Judas was the person. I know that because in chapter 13, when Jesus reveals that somebody's gonna betray him, the disciples are like, who's that? Is it you, is it you, is it you, is it you? Like they're confused. They don't even know. I mean, in my money, it would have been on Peter, right? I mean, Jesus already called him Satan. It did happen. Maybe you would have thought it would have been him, but no, it is Judas. People can fool you, they can lie to you. There are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing, but eventually you're going to know them by their fruit. General, tr or genuine, true branches that abide in Christ, they're gonna bear fruit. The others 
will not. I also think it's interesting that we see what the vine dresser does to these vines that are producing good fruit. It says that he prunes them. Why? So that they will produce more fruit. After the harvest, the vine dresser will cut off those branches. He'll either use his fingers to, to, to pull them off or he'll use a knife to cut them or he will even use a, a saw to hack at them. And you might think that that looks like, like it would hurt the branches. Now, what is this pruning? We're gonna see in a second. Part of the pruning is God's word. Reading his word, abiding in his word. That will prune you. That will help you make more fruit. Another aspect that we're about to read is his discipline. God's discipline on you, on me. Now, the author of Hebrews expounds upon this quite eloquently in chapter 12, verses five through 11, but I'm gonna kind of summarize it really quick. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, if God doesn't discipline you, you're an illegitimate child. Look at your own family. Your fathers discipline you and they do what they think is best for you, how much more will God, who is perfect, do that for you? And it's gonna hurt, but it's worth it. This is how it ends in uh, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, if you're a child of God, you are going to receive discipline because you're not perfect. And parents, if you're a parent, you know this. You know it because you've lived it, right? When you have kids, like I don't know what it is about an oven, but when it opens up, I guess it's red and glowy inside and that just makes kids be like, oh, I wanna touch it. Ah. And then they go for it. And then you have to be like, no, 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 that's hot, that's hot, we stay away from it. And then sometimes kids go back for it, right? They're going back again, like, yeah, I wanna touch it. Then you gotta put on your dad voice. No, you do not touch that. They try it again, you put them in timeout, you know? And as soon as that, that dad voice comes on, that no, you don't. I don't know if your kids are like my kids, but sometimes you get the backwards dance. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, ah! <laughs> or my youngest, he loves the hands back, head up, the ah! Well, they ain't happy about what's going on, but it is for their benefit. And if they go for it again, I don't know, you as the parent, you might make that decision. You might say, okay, th this is gonna be a spanking. Because a little bit of pain on the tushy is better than having burnt hands for weeks. If you are a child of God, you're going to get disciplined. It's not because God doesn't love you, it's because God loves you. He wants to keep you safe. He has better things for you. Also notice that there is a progression in the verse. You start off bad fruit, which means the other ones are making fruit, and then God prunes them, and they produce more fruit. Later on in the scripture, you're gonna see it's gonna say it will produce much fruit. God loves you so much that he's not gonna leave you where you're at. He's gonna keep working on you through his word, through discipline. He is going to prune you so that you produce more fruit, so that you produce much fruit. God is on a mission to make you more like him. The cool thing is God's infinite. So that mission, it's never done. If you have breath in your lungs, you can become more and more and more like Christ. That's pretty exciting.
Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Here we go, we're finally to it. We're finally to that word, abide. Now, abide, um, it's kind of an older word, right? We don't use it so often today. We don't use it so much. And some people kind of spiritualize it, hyper-spiritualize this word, abide. Look, we're gonna keep it simple. Abide here is the Greek verb that it's minnow. And it simply means to stay. Remain, do not depart. This section right here, it's talking about salvation. Yes, salvation. The other fancy theological word is justification. It's that point in your life where you're going down your own path and you say, no, no more. I'm turning to Jesus. I mess up, I keep screwing up, I can't fix myself, I need a savior. Not only do I need a savior to save me from all the bad stuff, I need somebody to run my life because I'm not doing a good job of it. Turning to Jesus as your Lord and savior. Justification, salvation. Now, he's talking to, again, his 11. These are the people that he has surrounded himself with at this time. And he says to them, already you are clean because the word I have spoken to you. You're already saved. You already have a saving faith in me as Jesus Christ. Uh, you were saved, but did you notice how they were saved? They were saved by the word or by his word. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So here's the first benefit of abiding in Christ. First benefit is salvation. Verse four starts by saying, abide in me and I in you. That's amazing. God just doesn't wanna be with you. God is living in you. Now, some people might ask you, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a believer? And it's not first and foremost about our behaviors. It's not like we have this uh, draconian dogma that we must adhere to, and if we don't, uh, we're kicked out. Christianity isn't so much about your behaviors, it's about who you know. Do you have the God of the universe living inside of you, the triune God, the God, again, that spoke galaxies into existence, the God that raised a man up from the dead. Does that power live inside of you? Well, if you're a Christian, yes, absolutely he does. And that is a big statement. Now, some people might ask, well, what happens if you don't? abide in Jesus. Can I lose my salvation? Well, let's go ahead and read on, back to the scripture. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit from, uh, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So after you read that, you might be like, yep, you can lose your salvation. Yeah, that happens. Um, but, you know, through the whole counsel of the scripture, no, I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's the case that when you're in the vine, as he's saying, if you're a branch 
in the vine that you are saved. I think what that means is it's kind of an outwardly perspective. Again, like Judas, he hung out with Jesus. He was around Jesus. From the outsider's perspective, he is in Jesus, but he's not bearing fruit. I do have other scripture evidence that points to it. Let's go actually to John uh, chapter six, verse 39. This is Jesus talking. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. Does that sound like Jesus is losing anybody? How about the next one? Uh, this is John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Doesn't seem like he's losing anybody. Romans 8, 38 and 39. This is Paul writing. He says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No, 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 no. It doesn't seem as if you read more of the Bible that Jesus is gonna be losing anybody. If you're a genuine, blood-bought, born-again believer, you are with Jesus till the end. Actually, John doesn't just write the gospel of John. He also writes epistles. He also writes letters. And in 1 John 2, 19, he writes this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. I'm sorry, I think I read that backwards. <laughs> Let me go back a little bit. For if they had been of us, they would, uh, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. We're not saved by our fruits, but our fruits do prove that we are connected to the nutrients, to the life-giving nutrients of the vine. Now you might be thinking, Ethan, you've been talking a whole bunch about this word fruit. Fruit, 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 fruit. What is fruit? I would sum it up in one word. Fruit is righteousness, all right? Righteous attitudes like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe righteous deeds, maybe righteous desires, righteous behaviors. And now I'm saying that word a lot. Righteous, 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 righteous. What does righteous mean? Well, I know one person who was righteous their entire life. Absolutely perfect. Never messed up one time. It's not my older brother. He tries to tell me that. It is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect one. So when we say you have righteous desires, that means you desire the things that Jesus desires. When you have righteous deeds, you are doing the things that Jesus would do. When you have righteous behaviors, you're behaving like Jesus would behave. Well, how do you know how Jesus would behave? You spend time with him. Verse three, already told you, you are clean by the word. Word, there's a whole book. I mean, there's 66 little books, right? But there's a whole book that's about God. It's about him. He is revealing himself to humanity throughout time. Specifically in the New Testament, you hear about his son, Jesus, again, the triune God. You wanna know more about Jesus? Read about him. You wanna know more about Jesus? Spend time with him. Also in verse four, it says, abide in me and I in you. 
There is a stern warning and a consequence for those people who do not abide in Jesus. In verse two, it says that they are thrown away. In verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Bluntly put, if you're not gonna believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are going to hell. Now, that sounds harsh, but let me put it in maybe a different aspect or different idea. Someday, Jesus is coming back, and he is going to rule the entire world. He's going to be the king. The entire world is going to be his kingdom. So if you have someone that comes to him and says, you know, Jesus, um, I don't wanna bow my knee to you. I don't want you to be my king. Well, then Jesus says, okay, your will be done. If you want that, all right. But then you can't be in my kingdom. If you're in my kingdom with all the people who are perfectly following me, you're gonna mess it up for them. I can't have you around. Sin is like a cancer. It spreads. And so I'm gonna have to separate you. And those people will willingly walk into hell because they don't wanna bend their knee to Jesus. They will walk into hell of their own volition, of their own choice. Now, A while ago, I told you one of the blessings of abiding in Christ is salvation. Here is the second blessing, sanctification. Again, that first word, salvation, justification, that's turning away from your sins. Sanctification, though, is a process. Day by day by day, becoming more and more like Jesus. We've already read, and I kind of talked about it really quick, how the scriptures, it starts off with bearing fruit, then it's bearing more fruit, then it's bearing much fruit. Over time, the more we abide in Christ, the more fruit we have, the more righteousness we have, the more we are like Christ. Well, how do we bear fruit? Does the branch produce it of its own accord? Is the branch just sitting there and like, and all of a sudden, it's the poop. That's the sound effect of a fruit, I guess. Um, then all of a sudden, you gotta go. No, I, I don't think that's, that's how it works. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image, as in the same image, the same likeness as God as Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. It's a process, it's step by step by step. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It comes from God. You can't work it up in your own flesh. You can't just make it happen. It comes from God. Well, and some people might say, so is this passive? Is it like, like do I not do anything? And I just let go and let God? Heard that phrase before. And again, I don't think that's the whole counsel of the word. Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he also writes 1 Corinthians. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. Does Paul make it sound like this is passive? Does Paul make it sound like, nah, it just happens to you? No, he is running passionately with determination 
after Jesus. These aren't behaviors that you are doing. It's not like, oh, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, and all of a sudden, I get you know, the fruit of truthfulness. That's not what's going on here. It comes through Jesus. Do you come to church once a month? Try coming twice a month. Do you open your Bible once a week on Sunday? Try opening it throughout the week. Do you uh, pray to God every night before you go to bed? Maybe try praying during the day, during good times, as well as hard times. I'm not doing these as a checklist of things. Do this, do this, do this. I'm just saying, these are practical ideas of hanging out with Jesus, of spending time with Jesus. Being intentional with Jesus will yield more fruit. And scripture is clear that we're all not gonna bear the same amount of fruit. So uh, Paul just used this analogy about running the race. Uh, I'm gonna look really quick at Mark 4. This is uh, Jesus' parable about the, uh, the sower, the guy who's throwing the seeds out. And this is what he says when Jesus is explaining the parable in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil, so the seeds that the sower threw out, they landed in good soil. Those are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Some 30, some 60, some 100. They're not all the same. So is is the fruit dependent on how hard they work? No, I don't think that at all. But I do think it is dependent on how intentional they are about spending time with Jesus about getting to know Jesus, about being in the word. The fruit is found in spending time with Jesus. Be intentional, run that race hard, and you will see the fruit of that relationship in your life. Three quick stories, really quick. When I was a kid, I was a liar. Yeah, I'm a sinner. And I remember, I don't know why, I was weird, but I, like, I, I got skizzers and I loved to cut things with them. Had a ball, just cutting stuff, paper, toys, other stuff. I remember one time I went into my mom's sock drawer. I don't know, I don't know, these were bad decisions. Um, And I got a a, a sock out, and I remember it was an orange sock, it was a Halloween sock. And I remember having that that, that thought, like, I wonder if they will cut this. (laughs) Correct answer, yes, yes they will. And Ethan did, I was like, snip, I was like, oh no, that was bad. So I took the sock, threw it away, and then ran. I remember my mom asked me later, she came to me, she's like, Ethan, I found the sock in the drawer. Did you cut my Halloween sock? No, no, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't do that, mom. Nope, wasn't me. Okay, Ethan, um, you're the youngest and none of your other siblings like to cut stuff and you do, so I'm gonna ask you again. Did you cut my socks? No, no, I didn't do it. Yes, yes, I did. (laughs) Liar. As I got older, I remember this is long after I've met Christ, long after I was saved. I was married at this point. Me and my family, uh, we were actually up and we're on a fishing trip, right? We're in Canada fishing the lakes and I caught the biggest fish. I caught a 38 inch northern pike or like kind of close to 38 inches. We're trying to measure it and you know, it's kind of flopping around a little bit and stuff. And I wanted to keep it, right? Because it's the biggest fish that we caught the whole time. Well, there's a rule in the lake and that is if they're 38 inches to 40 some odd, I don't really know, inches, you gotta throw them back. I didn't throw them back. I kept him. And I remember talking to my wife about that later. 
And I was like, man, I don't know why I kept the fish. Why did I care? It's not like I needed the meat or anything. Why, why did I want to keep that fish? I should have just thrown it back. You know, I wanted to show my parents how much that I have been spending time with Jesus, how my life has been changed by being with Jesus and I kept the fish and then I destroyed my own integrity. Why did I do that? A few years later, I remember uh, I'm about to take my kids to Disney and I was talking, I was teaching, I was talking to a fellow teacher about it and I was saying, yeah, you know, we're gonna go to Disney and that teacher um, looked at me and was like, hey, uh, my kid's about the same age as your kid and we have an annual pass and it's with the bracelet, so you just put the bracelet on your kid and you'll save yourself some money. And I was like, no, I don't think I can do that. Thanks, I appreciate it, but I don't think I can. And the teacher was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Disney make billions of dollars a year. They're always taking money. They're the biggest corporation in the world. You know, they get all this money. They're not gonna miss the whatever, hundred some odd dollars or whatever it is from you it's not a big deal, you know, just go ahead and take it and you'll save yourself some money, it'll matter a lot to you, it won't matter to them. And I smiled and I said, no, I'm sorry, again, thanks, I appreciate it, I know you wanna help out, but no, I just don't think I can do that. And that teacher looked at me and they said, I wish I had Jesus like you had Jesus. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. If you know me, you know I'm the liar. I'm the screw up. I mess up. That was Jesus. That was Jesus living inside of me. And I'll tell you, I'm not perfect. I wanna say that right now from the platform before lightning hits me. I'm not perfect. Not at all. But I am a mature Christian and I've spent time with Jesus. And Jesus has a habit of changing people. When you hang out with him, when you spend time with him, your life will be changed. And other people are gonna see it. And they're gonna know that it's not you, but that it's Jesus. Other people want that. Blessings for abiding in Christ. Salvation, sanctification, becoming more and more like him. And then third is answered prayer. Let's go back to the text. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whoa, it's a big promise, right? Ask anything you want and you are gonna get it. Huh, you'd think a lot more people would become Christians, right? Like all of a sudden you got a genie and you just gotta rub that lamp and you get whatever you want. Is that how it works? No, no. That's not how it works. There's some qualifying words before the you get whatever you want part. But before we get to that, let me just say, come on. Yeah, that is how life worked. If you just became a Christian, all of a sudden you get everything you've ever wanted. Who's in charge of the universe then? God or you? You need to do whatever you want. I can tell you, you know, by worldly standards, I'm an okay human, but I'd make a pretty crappy God. I would mess it up like that. You know, if I got everything I ever wanted, boom, the world done so fast. So, so bad. I would screw it all up. That's not what God means when he says that. Again, there's a few qualifying statements. There's two, let's look at the first one. It says, if you abide in me. What does that mean? It means that you're a Christian. It means that you're a believer. Here's the honest truth. 
God does not promise to answer the prayers of non-believers. He just doesn't do it in his word. Now, does God answer the prayer of non-believers? Yeah, I think so. I think he does. He's a God of grace. He makes it rain on the just. He makes it rain on the unjust. Okay, he loves people. But he does not promise that he will answer the prayers of the unbeliever. There's only one prayer that God promises that he will answer of the unbeliever, and that's the prayer of repentance. That's the prayer of, I'm turning away from my sins. I've screwed up, God, I need you. Save me, be my boss. That prayer he listens to 100% of the time. But again, he does not promise to listen or honor bound to answer the prayers of non-believers. Next point, next qualifying. My words abide in you. Ooh, huh, that takes a little bit of thinking. What does that mean? What does that mean? My words abide in you. Well, his words are the Bible, right? Scripture, they abide in you. What does that mean? I think it means this, that you pray within the character of God. So I mean, a simple thing, really quick, if you're like, God, please lie for me. God's truth. He wouldn't lie for you. God is truth. He is perfect. He's not gonna mess that up because you asked for it. Maybe a better example, if you're anything like me, this happened to me in school, uh, you show up and then you're like, you sit down and then you look at the board and you're like, we have a test today? What? God, please give me an A. I need it. I need that A. Maybe God gives it to you. Again, he's God. I'm not. He gets to call the shots. Maybe he has grace, but I would say that if that is a continual thing, that you never put in the work in school, uh, you never do the classwork, you don't do the homework, you don't pay attention, you're just kind of lazy, you put in basically zero effort, and you get A, 100%, A, 100%, A, 100% because you prayed, I would think then that at some point, God ceases to be justice. God ceases to be that God that says, you reap what you sow. So you can't pray against God's character. In John chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That phrase, in my name, that doesn't mean that at the end of your prayer, you say, in Jesus' name, amen. High fives, I got my new car, woo. It's not a magical phrase. In my name means in my likeness. Are you praying like Jesus prayed? Well, how did Jesus pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus' prayer right there, quite interesting. First, it starts off with this, Jesus just praising God for who he is. Adoration, loving God. It continues on where Jesus acknowledges, you're God, you are the king, and I am the subject. And at that moment, he was. Then he asks God for things. He does petition God for things. He asks for bread, he asks for forgiveness, and he asks to lead not into temptation. Cool thing is, in other parts of scripture, these are all things that God promises he will do for his people. It's actually 
cool enough that it's in God's name, or at least what the Israelites used to call him in the Old Testament. God had many names. I'm gonna go through some really quick. So again, Jesus prays for bread. Well, God's gonna provide for you physically. In the Old Testament, God is called Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Jesus asked for forgiveness. God will forgive your sins. He was called Jehovah Mekadishkin and Jehovah Rapha. That is the Lord sanctifies you and the Lord that heals. He asked to lead not into temptation. Well, God will lead us to good. God will not lead us to evil. God is Jehovah Sidkenu and Jehovah Ra. The Lord is our righteousness and the Lord is my shepherd. See, Jesus is praying the promises of God. He's praying the names of God. He's praying in God's likeness. And we should pray in Jesus's name. And we should pray in Jesus's likeness. And when we do, we're promised that our prayers will be answered. Benefits of abiding in Christ. Salvation, sanctification, answered prayers. And fourth, it is assurance. Assurance. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the Father is glorified when we bear fruit. And that fruit, again, righteousness uh, from the good branches, that's us becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Now, how is the best way to see that fruit? I just tell you from my own life experiences, the best way to see fruit is in the context of trials. If someone asked me, how do you know I'm saved? I'd probably say, short answer, uh, Jesus lives in my heart and I know he's there. And I know I'm saved. Long answer, or longer answer, is I've seen God show up in my life over and over and over again. Quick story, uh, got newly married, right? Uh, still in college, actually. And um, was finishing up, but had a job, going to school, got married, paying for housing, paying for school. It's a lot uh, compared to what my responsibilities were before that. And I remember uh, sitting down and looking at the money that was coming in and the money that was coming out and thinking, I, I can't tithe. I don't have enough money to tithe. We're not, I don't know if we're gonna survive if I do tithe. And I remember um, that that went on for a few paychecks. But as I was talking to God and I was hanging out with God, I remember he just was speaking to me and it had that decision time, right? That either this is real or this is not real. Either God's for me or he's not. This, this Christianity thing is either real or it's not. And if it's real, and I say it's real, then I gotta put my money where my mouth is. So I remember, not just the next paycheck coming in, not just writing a check for that one, but writing the checks for the past ones to kind of up on my tithe. And I remember going to church, and the buckets were passing by, and I had that check in my hand, and I was like, please God, please God, please God, please God. Please God. I was praying for a miracle. And I remember that bucket came by, and I set the check in the bucket, and then it went past me. No! But they do not look kindly if you grab back. Uh, so I did not. That was internal. Uh, 
Ah, and hey, guess what? I'm still alive. You know, I made it. We're here. God has always provided. Not always for my wants. Definitely not always my wants. Thank God he hasn't. But for my needs, I know I'm saved. I know I have an insurance of Christ because he's showed up so much in the past. That's just one little assurance story. But hey, if we ever have time together, if we're ever hanging out, I'd love to hear some of your assurance stories. How do you know that you're assured your salvation in Christ? Benefits of abiding in Christ, salvation, sanctification, answered prayers, assurance, now love. In verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So you might look at that and you're like, wait a second, huh? Jesus loves people who obey his commandments? Does that mean he has this kind of conditional love? He doesn't love you. If you don't obey his commandments, he does love you. You do obey his commandments. No, I, again, I don't think that's the full counsel of the scriptures. I, I mean, Jesus died on a cross for you, right? Died on a cross for me. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, God loves people who mess up. God loves people who are sinners. I think to properly explain this part of the passage, kind of got to go back to that analogy of the kid going for the stove or going for the oven. See, again, in that moment when it's, no, you can't do that, when it's timeout, maybe even when it's a spanking, does the father or does the parent still love the child? Yes, absolutely. The love did not stop. But I will tell you, that I'm pretty sure from the kid's perspective, they are not feeling the love right then. They're being told no, when they're being told they can't do stuff, when they're having timeouts, they're not feeling that love because they've stepped kind of outside the love and they need discipline in that moment. If you want to feel the uttermost, immersive, infinite love of God, keep his commandments and you're gonna feel it. Benefits of abiding in Christ. Salvation, sanctification, answer prayers, assurance, love, and finally, joy. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord, that is happiness, that is contentment in all situations. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes life doesn't suck. Just being real, sometimes it does. Sometimes situations happen that are unfair. Some things, same, sometimes things happen that are just uncool, not right. But I'll tell you the most unfair thing that has ever happened, ever, was a guy lived a perfect life and died on a cross for other people's screw-ups, for my screw-ups. And because of that death, and also importantly, him raising to life three days later. I get to spend eternity in heaven, not because of what I've done right, because of what he's done right. His righteousness got him death. My foolishness got me eternal life. That's a great switch. Why? Because of him, because of what 
he's done. So even in the worst circumstances, even the times when life just doesn't seem right, when it's unfair, we have that joy that someday I'm gonna be spending eternity in a perfect body, hanging out with my best friend in a world that has no pain, no hurt, no sorrow. He's gonna wipe it all away. You want joy that's unspeakable, that can't go away? Hang out with Christ. Do you want love? Do you want great relationships with others? Well then, abide in Christ. Do you wanna have an assurance that you are going to heaven? Stay in Christ. Do you want answered prayers? Then hang out with Jesus. Do you wanna day by day get closer to God and look more like God in your deeds, in your behaviors, in your attitudes, in your desires, then hang out with Jesus. See, the end goal of humanity is not to be holy. That's not the end. That is the means to which we get to the end. The end of humanity is to be with God is to be in relationship with God, is to hang out with God. Again, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Spend time with him, and every day he will deepen your relationship in him. Again, God is eternal. So that means your job is never done. Every day you get to know more. We get to deepen, we get to become more like God, we get to become more like Christ. And that doesn't start in heaven. That starts as soon as repentance. It's not passive. You have to work for it. You have to be intentional about spending time with Jesus and then you're gonna see those fruits. So I don't know about you, but today I choose to get closer to God. Today I choose to abide in Jesus. Thank you guys.